Section 9 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 3 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 34 Kanpur, Part 2. The terms had to be accepted. There was nothing else to be done. The English people were promised, during the course of the negotiations, sufficient supplies of food and boats to carry them to Allahabad which was now once more in the possession of england the relief was unspeakable for the survivors of that weary defence the women the children the wounded the sick the dying welcomed any terms of release not the faintest suspicion crossed any mind of the treachery that was awaiting them how indeed could there be any such suspicion not for years and years had even oriental warfare given example of such practice as that which nana sahib and the graceful and civilized azimullah khan had now in preparation the time for the evacuation of the garrison came the boats were in readiness on the ganges the long procession of men women and children passed slowly down very slowly in some instances because of the number of sick and wounded by which its progress was encumbered some of the chief among the nana's counsellors took their stand in a little temple on the margin of the river to superintend the embarkation and the work that was to follow it nana sahib himself was not there it is understood that he purposely kept away he preferred to hear of the deed when it was done his faithful lieutenant tantia topi had given orders it seems that when a trumpet sounded some work for which he had arranged should begin the wounded and the women were got into the boats in the first instance the officers and men were scrambling in afterwards suddenly the blast of a trumpet was heard the boats were of the kind common on the rivers of india covered with roofs of straw and looking as some accounts describe them not unlike floating haystacks the moment the bugle sounded the straw of the boat roofs blazed up and the native rowers began to make precipitately for the shore they had set fire to the thatch and were now escaping from the flames they had purposely lighted up at the same moment there came from both shores of the river thick showers of grape-shot and musketry the banks of the ganges seemed in an instant alive with shot a very rain of bullets poured in upon the devoted inmates of the boats to add to the horrors of the moment if indeed it needed any addition nearly all the boats stuck fast in mud-banks and the occupants became fixed targets for the fire of their enemies only three of the boats floated two of these drifted to the oed shore and those on board them were killed at once the third floated farther along with the stream reserved for further adventures and horrors the firing ceased when tantia topi and his confederates thought that enough had been done and the women and children who were still alive were brought ashore and carried in forlorn procession back again through the town where they had suffered so much and which they had hoped that they were leaving forever there were some one hundred and twenty-five in number women and children some of them were wounded there were a few well-disposed natives who saw them and were sorry for them who had perhaps served them and experienced their kindness in other days and who now had some grateful memory of it 
which they dared not express by any open profession of sympathy certain of these afterwards described the english ladies as they saw them pass they were bedraggled and dishevelled these poor english women their clothes were in tatters some of them were wounded and the blood was trickling from their feet and legs they were carried to a place called savara house a large building once a charitable institution bearing the name of salvador which had been softened into savara by the asiatic pronunciation on board the one boat which had floated with the stream were more than a hundred persons the boat was attacked by a constant fire from both banks as it drifted along at length a party of some twelve men or thereabouts landed with the bold object of attacking their assailants and driving them back in their absence the boat was captured by some of the rebel gangs and the women and the wounded were brought back to Kanpur. some sixty men twenty-five women and four children were thus recaptured the men were immediately shot it may be said at once that of the gallant little party who went ashore to attack the enemy hand to hand four finally escaped after adventures so perilous and so extraordinary that a professional story-teller would hardly venture to make them part of a fictitious narrative the nana had now a considerable number of english women in his hands they were removed after a while from their first prison-house to a small building north of the canal in between the native city and the ganges here they were cooped up in the closest manner except that some of them were taken out in the evening and set to the work of grinding corn for the use of their captors cholera and dysentery set in among these unhappy sufferers and some eighteen women and seven children died let it be said for the credit of womanhood that the royal widows the relics of the nana's father by adoption made many efforts to protect the captive english women and even declared that they would throw themselves and their children from the palace windows if any harm was done to the prisoners we have only to repeat here that as a matter of fact no indignities other than that of the compulsory corn grinding were put upon the english ladies they were doomed one and all to suffer death but they were not as at one time was believed in england made to long for death as an escape from shame meanwhile the prospects of the nana and his rebellion were growing darker and darker he must have begun to know by this time that he had no chance of establishing himself as a ruler anywhere in india the english had not been swept out of the country with a rush the first flood of the mutiny had broken on their defences and already the tide was falling the nana well knew it never would rise again to the same height in his day the english were coming on neil had recaptured allahabad and cleared the country all round it of any traces of rebellion havelock was now moving forward from allahabad towards Kanpur with six cannon and about a thousand english soldiers very small in point of numbers was that force when compared with that which nana sahib could even still rally round him but no one in india now knew better than nana sahib what extraordinary odds the english could afford to give with the certainty of winning havelock's march was a series of victories although he was often in such difficulties that the slightest display of real generalship or even soldiership on the part of his opponents might have stopped his advance he had one encounter with the lieutenant of the nana 
who had under his command nearly four thousand men and twelve guns and havelock won a complete victory in about ten minutes he defeated in the same off-hand way various other chiefs of the mutiny he was almost at the gates of Kanpur. then it appears to have occurred to the nana or to have been suggested to him that it would be inconvenient to have his english captives recaptured by the enemy their countrymen it may be that in the utter failure of all his plans and hopes he was anxious to secure some satisfaction to satiate his hatred in some way it was intimated to the prisoners that they were to die among them were three or four men these were called out and shot then some sepoys were sent to the house where the women still were and ordered to fire volleys through the windows this they did but apparently without doing much harm some persons are of opinion from such evidence as can be got that the men purposely fired high above the level of the floor to avoid killing any women and children in the evening five men two hindu peasants two mohammedan butchers and one mohammedan wearing the red uniform of the nana's bodyguard were sent up to the house and entered it incessant shrieks were heard to come from that fearful house the mohammedan soldier came out of the door holding in his hand a sword hilt from which the blade had been broken off and he exchanged this now useless instrument for a weapon in proper condition not once but twice this performance took place evidently the task imposed on these men was hard work for the sword blades after a while the five men came out of the house quiet now and locked the doors behind them during that time they had killed nearly all the english women and children they had slaughtered them like beasts in the shambles in the morning it appeared indeed that the work however zealously undertaken had not been quite thorough the strongest arms and sharpest sabres sometimes fail to accomplish a long piece of work to perfect satisfaction in the morning it would seem that some of the women and certainly some of the children were still alive that is to say were not dead for the five men came then and with several attendants to clear out the house of the captives their task was to tumble all the bodies into a dry well beyond some trees that grew near a large crowd of idlers assembled to watch this operation then it was seen by some of the spectators that certain of the women and children were not yet quite dead of the children some were alive and even tried to get away but the same well awaited them all some witnesses were of opinion that the nana's officials took the trouble to kill the still living before they tossed them down into the well others do not think they stopped for any such work of humanity and flung them down just as they came to hand the quick and the dead together at all events they were all deposited in the well any of the bodies that had clothes worth taking were carefully stripped before being consigned to this open grave when Kanpur was afterwards taken by the english those who had looked down into that well saw a sight the like of which no man in modern days had ever seen elsewhere no attempt shall be made to describe it here when the house of the massacre itself was entered its floors and its walls told with terrible plainness of the scene they had witnessed the plaster of the walls was scored and seamed with sword slashes low down and in the corners as if the poor women had crouched down in their mortal fright with some wild hope of escaping the blows the floor was strewn with scraps of dresses women's faded ragged finery 
frilling, underclothing, broken combs, shoes, and tresses of hair. There were some small and neatly severed curls of hair, too, which had fallen on the ground, but evidently had never been cut off by the rude weapon of a professional butcher. These doubtless were keepsakes that had been treasured to the last, parted with only when life and all were going. There was no inscription whatever on the walls when the house was first entered. Afterwards a story was told of words found written there by some Englishwoman, telling of hideous wrong done to them, and bequeathing to their countrymen the task of revenge. This story created a terrible sensation in England, as was but natural, and aroused a furious thirst for vengeance. It was not true. Some such inscription did appear on the walls afterwards, but it is painful to have to say that it was a vulgar, and what could have been called in later times, a sensational forgery. Our countrywomen died without leaving behind them any record of a desire on their part for vengeance. We may be sure that they had other thoughts and other hopes as they died. One or two scraps of paper were found which recorded deaths and such like interruptions of the monotony of imprisonment, but nothing more. The well of horrors has been filled up, and a memorial chapel surrounded by a garden built upon the spot. It was right to banish all trace of that hideous crime, and to replace the house and the well, as Mr. Trevelyan says, by a fair garden and a graceful shrine. Something, however, has still to be told of the Nana and his fortunes. He made one last stand against the victorious English in front of Kanpur, and was completely defeated. He galloped into the city on a bleeding and exhausted horse. He fled thence to Bitur, his residence. He had just time left, it is said, to order the murder of a separate captive, a woman who had previously been overlooked or purposely left behind. Then he took flight in the direction of the Nepalese marches, and he soon disappears from history. Nothing of his fate was ever known. Many years afterwards England and India were treated to a momentary sensation by a story of the capture of Nana Sahib but the man who was arrested proved to be an entirely different person, and indeed from the moment of his arrest few believed him to be the long-lost murderer of the English women. In days more superstitious than our own, popular faith would have found an easy explanation of the mystery which surrounded the close of Nana Sahib's career. He had done, it would have been said, the work of a fiend, and he had disappeared as a fiend would do when his task was accomplished. End of section 9